Gratitude is an attitude. And the, the older you get, the more you understand how true that really is. And one of the aims and one of the goals that the Bible has for all of God's people is that we learn to praise our God. We're going to be doing this for all eternity. We learn to worship Him. We learn to extol Him. And this is what Psalm 117 says. So let's read this together. It's only two verses. Easy to memorize. I would encourage you to do that. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and, his faithful, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This is an amazing little psalm. I want to walk you through just a little bit of it. First of all, I want to kind of help you understand a couple of these words. The first word I want you to understand is the word praise. Now, we use this word. This is alive and well in the American Dictionary. It's in our language. We use it often for athletes, celebrities, not so much politicians right now. That was kind of funny. <laughs> Maybe not. But the word praise means to boast. Now let that trickle in for a moment. It means to brag. It actually means when it says praise the Lord, it means to put God in the center of the show. That's actually how the word is used. So praise the Lord. Well, here's your second word. Lord is all small caps. You see that in your Bible? The English versions, they do really well with this. They help you understand this is when it's all small caps. This is Yahweh, the name of God. That means the eternal, self-existent, ever faithful, redeeming God. Praise the Lord. Boast about our Redeemer. Boast about his faithfulness. Extol him, all peoples. Now, here's what I want you to see for a moment. And I'm only going to be bringing this out for about another three minutes. What I want you to see is that the trajectory of this psalm is all over the globe. It's all over the planet. It's not just the people of Israel. Praise the Lord, all nations. By the way, we have the same call today. Extol him, all peoples. Now look at verse 2. For great is his steadfast love. You know that steadfast love phrase is the Old Testament version of the New Testament word grace. So praise the Lord because great is his grace toward us. This is why we praise the Lord. This is why we extol him. This is why we brag about him. This is why we make him the center of the show because his steadfast love, his grace, it never ends. It endures forever. Therefore, praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. You know, that, that name, Lord, Yahweh, has been given to Jesus in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. He's been given the name that is above all names. Well, the name of God that is above all names is Yahweh. It's not Jesus, by the way. There were hundreds and thousands, probably, of men named Jesus in the first century Israel. The name that is above all names is Yahweh, and it's been given to Jesus. Therefore, Philippians 2.9 says, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's Yahweh. We brag about Jesus. We extol Jesus. We give him glory as he gives his father glory. So praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Now this is what we're going to be doing this evening. 
You see that outward call of the gospel, all nations, all peoples, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. There will be a great scene in heaven that people from every tongue, every tribe are praising God. This is what you're going to experience, Christian brother and sister. It's what I'm going to experience. That call is around the globe. So here we are, a little church in eastern Pennsylvania. And what we're about to show you is a ministry that God has led us to begin 7,000 miles away in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. In a little town, it's not so little anymore, called Dungu. Dungu Mai, if you want to be precise. And we're going to show you what God has led us to do because you're an important, integral part of it. And I hope that you're amazed. This is where I went for two weeks. I just came back a week ago. Came back from Africa, came back from Dungu. Uh, Josh has been over there. I'm going to be inviting Josh up in just a moment. And he's going to be answering the question, why are we there? And what are we doing? And then I'm going to give you a tour of the facility that's already been, per that, that's already been built. And then we're going to tell you where God is leading us. A little bit of a picture of what God is doing. So here's my goals for the rest of this evening. That we would get a better understanding of why we are serving God in Dungu, that's number one. Number two, that we would get a perspective of what God has done and what he's going to continue to do. And third and final, that we would have the courage to do great and sacrificial things for the Lord, for the people in Dungu, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Josh, come on up, and I want you to be able to take this mic, and uh, everybody better buckle in because what we're going to show you is pretty amazing. Well, good evening. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Wildeson. Yes, I'm the brother of Joel Wildeson, who you just saw uh, reporting in from Tanzania. So uh, be praying for Joel, be praying for his family. It is a certainly difficult circumstance that they're going through right now. So I'm here this evening. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with uh, Restoring Hope Ministries since its inception. Okay. And uh, Cornerstone's introduction to the atrocities occurring in the, new, in the northeast part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo began in December of 2008. The Lord's Resistance Army, a rebel group led by Joseph Kony, you see him on the screen, was wreaking havoc on the region. The Lord sent us a man named Bagudekia Alabayu, who told us the story of his family's suffering in Dungu. Dungu is located in the northeast part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and we began to hear horrific stories, stories that I can't share with you in this context, about what Kony and his rebel soldiers were doing to the people in Dungu. The testimony of Bagu and his family quickly motivated Cornerstone to respond. As Cornerstone representatives began visiting Dungu, we witnessed the dire situation firsthand. As we listened to the villagers tell their stories, we heard anger, confusion, sorrow, hopelessness. These emotions, this trauma, largely stem from decades of violence, pain, and suffering. We knew we needed to do more, and trauma healing was determined to be the first step. This modern-day Macedonian call was impressed on our hearts and minds. Isaiah 61.3 talks about beauty from ashes. 
This verse resonated with us and inspired us to fund a trauma healing site in Dungu. Listen to this video from Catherine Barnhart explaining her experience of seeing life transformation firsthand through trauma healing. I feel privileged to introduce you to trauma healing because for me, as a steward, I find myself on the field quite a bit assessing projects that we funded. This is the first time, the only time, that what I saw on the field exceeded the impact that we were hoping for. Seeing trauma healing on the field in Congo, in a hard place, it overwhelmed me. It overwhelmed me because it worked. And then I also saw that it continued to work. I saw women who had received this training three years ago. They were living full and abundant lives in the midst of much hardship. It's not what I expected. Shame on me. I know the value of God's word to transform. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. And I saw him do it in the lives of very hurt and broken women. Trauma healing was created as a response to the devastation of what was happening in Congo. It's grown beyond those borders. So after seeing and hearing about the impact of trauma healing in Dungu and talking to the leaders on the ground, we began asking the Lord, what happens after trauma recovery? We felt compelled to restore through trauma healing, train through post-secondary education, and sustain through asset-based development. As this restore, train, sustain strategy was a direct response to what we felt we were hearing from the leaders in Dungu, Cornerstone sent a team back to Dungu to confirm that the Lord was truly directing us in this manner. We met with church leaders from the sake of 20 denomination. We met with leaders from the Catholic Church. We met with government officials. We walked the streets of Dungu and spoke with the locals. And of course, we enjoyed seeing the precious little children and the excitement they had on their faces because of the hope they believed we were bringing to their community. We received an overwhelming confirmation that the Lord had directed us to Dungu for such a time as this. Part of this confirmation was the receipt of 2,000 acres of land to be used for Restoring Hope Ministries. Upon receipt of this land, we began planning how to have a presence on the ground in Dungu. We commissioned Jim Finari, Jeff Graham, Thelma Landrud to represent Cornerstone on the ground. The bike tour raised the funds to purchase a hydroform brick making machine to press the brick necessary to build the training center and guest house. The land was cleared in preparation for construction. The brick making machine was delivered on site. Delivery certainly had its challenges. Yes, that's a road. Bricks were made. Over 21,000 bricks were made, weighing 231 tons, handmade. 
The foundation was dug with much sweat and muscle, and construction on the site commenced. 22 men literally pulled the building out of the ground. What was once just a drawing on a piece of paper, what was once a vision, is now reality. And the Hope House was dedicated to the glory of God just a few weeks ago. You know, it is absolutely impossible for us to adequately help you understand what is really happening over there. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a tour of my trip. And so I was there for two weeks, and uh, I lived in our Hope House along with Thelma and Jim and Jeff, and uh, we had a lot of people coming in and coming and going, and I'm going to introduce you to some of them. But I want to show you, we flew into Dungu Airport, which is basically a grassy, a bit of a gravelly strip, got off the plane, and then 20 minutes through the heart of the, the town of Dungu, uh, we arrived at our property, which it's a kilometer road to get from the our driveway, to get from the road up to our support house, and I'm going to show you the shocking scene that unfolded when I got out of the truck at the end of our driveway to walk up that kilometer. Watch this. That's only the last 75 yards of the walk. Uh, there were people, hundreds of people lined up. I don't know why I don't get this reception when I come to church. What is wrong with you people? This is the way it ought to be. So I'm walking up this kilometer driveway. There are hundreds of children, men and women lining both sides of the driveway. They are singing to us. They are welcoming us. They are waving. Um, pom-poms. I mean, this was amazing. I've never experienced it anywhere in America. I am vastly underappreciated. So what I want to show you, though, is I want to show you what this property is like. Now look at me for just a second. Ready? Did you hear what Josh told you? That we were given 2,000 acres of land? There's not many hills in Dungu, which is 370,000 people in all of the district. There's not many hills. We own one of the only hills. It was given to us 2,000 acres of land. Listen, Cornerstone owns it. It is ours to do what God has led us to do as we partner with the churches over there. So if you go down to the bottom of that land, I'm going to show you the well. The well was dug because finally they got tired of hauling water for the brick-making machine. It was dug, I think, six to eight meters deep. And then they put a concrete cap over it with a lock. 
And then they built a pump station, which is a house that's housing a family in Dungu as they watch over that pump to make sure that it's pumping. There's solar panels on that. That, that is what empowers it. Now listen, there's no electricity in Dungu. When you drive through the village at night, it is utterly dark. You will see little fires, cook fires. Every once in a while, you see a little one-foot square solar panel that charges their cell phones. There's no power lines. There's no water system. There's no septic system anywhere in Dungu. So we built this pump station that pumps water a kilometer up the hill until you get to these to this water tower that was welded. You see Jeff and you see Jim there. And if you see closely, I'm going to show you a close-up picture. You'll see our water tower. They are two 5,000-liter plastic or PVC vats, one on top of the other. They are linked together through a valve system. That water all the way down at the bottom of our property is pumped a kilometer up. Put it, it's pumped into those vats where they create bleach. You know you can create bleach fairly easily. It's basically salt and water, and you put in an electrolysis wire inside of that, hook it up to a car battery, and in an hour or two hours, you've got bleach. So they create bleach. In fact, this is going to be, Lord willing, one of the sustainable uh, solutions uh, for that area, for uh, restoring hope. So they put the bleach in the water tower into those big PVC 5,000-liter vats, that then gets gravity-fed all the way down the slope until it gets to the building that we have built that you've already seen the pictures of. In fact, there's a picture of it right there. And up on top of that building are two tanks. They each have two solar panels. It powers the hot water production. So we've got running water in this building. We've got hot water in this building. We've got a solar panel array, at least 40 panels, that powers all of it with electricity. This is amazing what God has done in Dungu. When you see this building, you begin to see the outside part of it, but then you begin to move inward. And when you move inside the building, I'm going to try to describe it, and you'll see the pictures as they unfold up on the screen. When you move into the building, you walk up these steps that are all tiled. You walk into the front door, which is lockable, secure at night. The entire facility is. And you go down a hallway. To your right is a, an office, and to your left is a wing. The first part of that wing is what you're going to see in just a moment with all of the curtains. But if you go to the right, you're going to get to a courtyard, and around the courtyard are four large bedroom, two of them suites, the other two have bunk beds in them, all together housing a capacity of 14 people. Each one of those four rooms has a bathroom with flushable toilets, with a shower, with hot and cold water that is all gravity fed from the tanks on top of the roof. And that's all down the hallway to the right. If you go down the hallway to the left, what you get first is a meeting room, a large rectangle that has a large screen TV, which is going to be used for the university or used for training. You see the couches, you see the chairs in there. And then at the other end of that, that large wing is the dining room. You see the tables, you see the chairs around them. And what you're going to see in a moment is our first dinner party, but not yet. Let me tell you a little bit more about that wing on the left. 
First you have the meeting room, then the dining room, and then there's a wall, and then there's the kitchen. And on the other side of that kitchen is an outdoor patio for laundry. All has double, stink, double sinks, has all of the, the, the uh, amenities that you need to be able to run the support house. Now, the night before I came home, this was Monday night, we invited the mayor of Dungu, which I'll introduce to you, to, uh, him to you in a moment. We invited him, his son, Effie. So you're going to see these people around this table. That's Thelma to your left. That's Jim Finari. That's the mayor to his left. And that's his son, Effie, to his left. I want to introduce you a little bit more. You see Emil, who is a doctor. Then you see Boniface. Then you see Ayub in the, in the uh, white shirt. And then you see in the blue shirt, with his, hand, his chin in his hand, those three that I just introduced, Boniface, Ayub, and Johan, he's the German contractor that's a missionary rooted in, based in Uganda. He came and he supervised the construction of all this. Now, all of those plans that you saw, they were designed by Dirk Friend, one of our elders. He's an architect. He designed all of that. We worked with Johan. His crew came in and worked with our crew of 22, that Josh said, and they built this whole entire facility. And the blue plaid shirt is Bagadekia Alabayu. He is, uh, works with the American Bible Society. He is our main person that knows everything about Dungu because he grew up in Dungu. He's a pastor. And he was over there with me, and he is extremely influential in this ministry. And then you see Jeff Graham at the end there on your right. Now, that was our first dinner party inviting the mayor of Dungu. Now, let me rewind for just a minute. In 2005, year 2005, Dungu Mai had 37,000 people that lived there. No infrastructure. They have two beautiful rivers. They are resource rich. It is an absolutely beautiful area. But with all the militia activity and all the atrocities that, they were, that were being committed from South Sudan, from all over the region of Congo as well, came streaming refugees. So 12 years ago, it was 37,000 people, no infrastructure. 12 years later, it's 300 and. 70,000 people, no infrastructure. This is one of the darkest places on the globe when it comes to suffering. They are absolutely rooted in poverty. What do you do about that? You're going to hear that in a minute. This is an area that God has led our church to. And you're seeing the first fruits of what can happen when, the, when a little church like ours trusts in the Lord and he does great things for his own glory. Well, we had a dedication service. This is why I went over there. And what you're going to see is a crude tent covering, which are just a patchwork quilt of tarps. Usually have holes all through them with bamboo poles holding them up. They were rooted into the ground. We invited 300 people to attend the dedication service. What you're seeing is 845 people come up. We ran out of food. The churches, sake of 20, they uh, provided a cow. That was the beef. We provided the goat outside my window that morning. It was a cute little thing. Tasted even better. And then we had, oh, I'm sorry, as some of you Americans, you're just not used to that. Then we had chickens. We had fish. We had rice. We had all kinds of food. A group of 30 women came up for two days 
cooked all of this food, fed all of these people, and yet we still ran out, and it was okay. The people didn't mind. They were so excited about what God is doing. What you're going to see is the ribbon cutting. The ribbon cutting were four, four of us. What you see on the left, far left, our left, is Bagu, Abadekia, or Alabayu. Then you see the mayor. Now, the mayor is the guy that when Josh and his team went over there, the mayor basically, with all of his cabinet, sat down with them and said, I want you over here. I believe what you're doing is what Dungu needs, and I trust that you're coming, and if you don't come over here and do this, then I'm going to believe you don't trust me. And I reminded the mayor of that during this dedication service. With 845 people, I was preaching the word of God, and I reminded the mayor, this is what you said, here's what God has done. We came and we have built this for the glory of God. And it was largely because you wanted us here. You invited us here. And to the other side of, of the mayor is Pastor, uh, is me actually. I forgot who I was. And then the other side of me, I think, I can't hardly see, but I think it's the uh, Pastor Gambala, who is the district pastor of Seca 20 in that entire region. Very, very exciting as we did this ribbon cutting ceremony. But I want to introduce you to Pastor Siuku. Pastor Siuku, who, by the way, had malaria for four days. He was in the hospital clinic for four days while I was there. Pastor Siuku is the pastor that said to us on video, he sent me a letter as well uh, two years ago, please come. The suffering is too big for our churches to handle. We need help. Now look at me for a moment. The last thing that I said, that Pastor Siuku said to me right before I flew out that Tuesday, was please tell Cornerstone thank you. I am bringing to you greetings from Pastor Siuku. He is the head pastor of Sika 20 in Dungu, and I am bringing his thankfulness as well. And this is just the beginning. He is terribly excited about what God is doing and what we're doing as we partner together. I want to show you what church was like. Now watch this. Now, Dave Saul, Dave and Lisa, stand up for a second, will you, please? Go on, stand up, let everybody see you. I want you to start worshiping like those little boys, all right? <laughs> Come on, it's time to bust out, Cornerstone. The Africans know how to worship. I'm going to tell you, when I'm over there, and I'm preaching right after this was uh, the worship, and I preached earlier that morning at the English-speaking church, it was alive. I wish you could have just tasted and experienced what I did. And you would come back and you would be praying, Lord, enliven our worship, because I'm pretty sure that's what heaven's going to be like. 
So when you see this church of about 300 people, these are the Lingala-speaking people. They don't speak English. The earlier church I preached was the English one. So I preached in this one, and they translated me into Lingala. And then the morning that I left, we visited the clinic. The clinic is headed by Emil, who is a very close friend of ours. He has a nurse's level degree and does doctor level work. In fact, when he does surgeries, he texts doctors and doctors tell him what to do. And I was praying, Lord, please don't let me need surgery. <laughs> Emil is amazing. We need to see what God's going to do through a meal. I think he's going to be a big part of restoring hope as we go forward. And this is the inside of his clinic. Let me tell you something. It's basically a barn with stalls. There is no antiseptic tiled walkways. There are no little squirt things on the side of the walls that you disinfect your hands. These are mosquito net beds where the patients all are in a common room. And then for severe patients, there are stalls that they can put them in with curtains that they can close. This is what we need to do. This is what God is calling us to do. These are the people that need our help. They do not have the ability to help themselves. This is why God has sent us there. Now, I would love to give you a lot more information about what happened on my trip, but I'm going to turn this back over to Josh because I think this is probably some of the most important part, important information that you're going to hear. So, Josh, come on back up. So at this point, I'm sure you're wondering what's next. What's the next phase of Restoring Hope Ministries' journey? Before I outline that, I want to, want to walk you through some core principles that are going to lead us through the path forward. First, we as a congregation need to examine our mindset on poverty. We need to understand poverty a little better. Restoring Hope Ministries sees poverty in light of the next video that I'm going to show you by the Chalmers Center. We have a problem. Over a billion people live on less than a dollar a day. But to most of us, this number is just that, a number. But the poor are more than numbers. And poverty isn't just a lack of money. It's rooted in something deeper. It's about broken relationships with God, with others, with the rest of creation, and with our own self. Take an example. In Uganda, in the small town of Kamara, Tima, a widow, struggles to survive by selling beans in the marketplace. Her baby is sick from dirty water. She can't afford medicine, and her land has been taken from her. Tima feels trapped. Until one day, a foreign organization moves in to help her town. They drill a well, they build a school and a health clinic. It feels really good to be helping people. But five years pass, the well dries up, the planes leave. Things are even worse than before. Good intentions are not enough. Imagine instead, Tima meets a friend who invites her to a small church where she meets a new community, the body of Jesus Christ. Through holistic ministry and economic development, the church shows Tima 
that Jesus reconciles the broken relationships at the root of poverty, that she is created in the image of God with dignity, worth, and the ability to help herself and her family and her entire community. It's not glamorous, but it lasts. The Chalmers Center for Economic Development trains the local church to empower the poor on their own terms. Because the ultimate solution to poverty comes not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So it feels really good to go over and deliver relief. I'm sure you feel good about Tim recounting his experiences. And you should feel good because you were all part of it. We, were, we did this together. You know, we made this happen together through the Lord's help. However, good intentions are not enough. We must now move towards holistic ministry and economic development. In other words, move from our restore pillar to our train and sustain pillars. Our efforts must focus on helping people realize they are made in the image of God. They have dignity. They have worth. They have hope. We need to be careful not to strip this from, them, from those who we are serving. Tima, who was referenced in that video, needs the opportunity to help herself, help her family, and help her community. And the reality is, She's fully capable of doing it. We're looking for long-term impact in Dungu. We need to recognize that the ultimate solution for poverty comes not from the outside in, but from the inside out. We are not the Savior riding in on the white horse, but we know who is. Jesus. Jesus restores the broken relationships of poverty, and he lifts individuals out. Restoring Hope Ministries' vision is to see strength in churches that will restore and lead their broken communities. We restore to train. We train to sustain. We sustain to produce lasting impact for the sake of the gospel. Our goal is that after 20, a 20-year church-to-church partnership with the sake of 20 church, Cornerstone will have representation in Dungu not because we need to, but because we want to. Long-term sustainability has been achieved, and Restoring Hope Ministries is fully funded by Congolese businesses and resources. The locals have full ownership of Restoring Hope Ministries, and they're running it with excellence. We are in Dungu because in partnership, we are benefiting from our relationships with our global brothers and sisters in Christ. They have taught and continue to teach us a fuller picture of God's love, God's faithfulness, and God's sovereignty. They are living proof of the impact enduring faith and trust in our Redeemer can have on a community. This is the full picture of sustainability. So how does this look practically into 2018 and beyond for Restoring Hope Ministries? Jim Finari and Jeff Graham are in Dungu right now. They're going to be there until December 15th. They're working to identify local entrepreneurs that the Lord has anointed to restore hope in Dungu. 
These entrepreneurs will be trained in both vocational skills and spiritual disciplines through cohort-style curriculum. Sustainable enterprises will be launched. Examples would be water purification, construction techniques, agriculture, aquaculture, hydroelectric, kinetic energy, auto mechanics. The list goes on and on. There's no shortage of ideas that we have received from our Dungu friends. As these initiatives are created, we will work with the local entrepreneurs to ensure they have the appropriate training and resources to scale their business. So let me paint you a picture. Jeff Graham has already been working with Emmanuel and David to establish a, to establish a viable water purification business. He has taught them the health benefits of water purification and showed them the full process they can use to purify the water. He has worked side by side with them as they tested all of the wells in Dungu. He has been speaking truth in their lives through the comparison of clean water and the true living water we receive through Christ. They have built a business model and understand profit margin and the opportunity to scale the business. We have monitored the health of these two families over the past year, and they testify to their improved health. This small business has the opportunity to impact these two men by providing dignity, worth, and hope for their future. Their families will continue to benefit from financial provision, spiritual mentoring, and improved health. As the business continues to scale, Restoring Hope Ministries will receive profits from the business to sustain the ministry and further serve the community of Dungu. So as I close, I want to make sure you guys have an opportunity to respond to what you're, what you're hearing tonight. After the service, some members of the team will be available to speak with you about how you can specifically get involved in this work. We need you. Our first request is that you pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray that we humbly listen and respond to the vision the Lord is streaming to us. We have seen throughout this entire process that he does not um, give us the full picture, but he streams his desires to us over time, and the fog is lifted from our eyes as we take that step of faith. Time and time again, we've seen that. So first, pray. Second, give. Consider giving of your time, giving of your talent, your treasure, and your influence to benefit Restoring Home Ministries. And third, advocate. Join our team. Learn the philosophy that undergirds the ministry. This is not relief. This is not rehabilitation. It's development, but it's working through the process of restore, train, sustain. So as you learn that philosophy, share it with others as you go about your day. So I thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure being with you.